Uh, today, uh, a friend of mine is coming to read our scripture for us. Uh, Larry Matica has been a, a friend and a part of this church for many, many, many years. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you for standing as we read the word this morning. Matthew chapter 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up into the mountain, and when he sat down, the disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is a kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Pray with me, please. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that we can be here this morning and worship you in spirit and in truth. We're so thankful that the Holy Spirit is here and speaking to our hearts. I pray, Lord, that this morning you will speak through your messenger. Give him the anointing. Let him speak truth to us and give our hearts openness to receive your word this morning. Help us to understand what peacemakers really are, and let us go forth and be peacemakers in a world which certainly needs them at this time. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Amen. In Matthew chapter 7, as we've been talking, we see Jesus' purpose of the Sermon on the Mount. The purpose of the Sermon on the Mount, he's laying just the core fundamental principles of what his kingdom's going to be like. And as we go through this these next couple of weeks and as we turn to Wednesday nights, we're going to go look at so many places where Jesus says to us, you have been told this, I'm telling you this. And he turns things on their ear. And the purpose of all of this, he comes at the end of it, and he reminds us that the man who does these things is going to be like a man who builds his house on the rock. And the one who ignores them is the one who builds his house on the sand. I, I, we've got to get a hold of this, that he wants our lives to be built to last. Now, being built to last is much more than simply following a bunch of rules. The Sermon on the Mount is about the reconstruction of our very being, He's, he wants to make us into new creatures. In this message, he begins to reprogram our thinking to, see, get, to get us and to challenge us to think through a different prism, developing a new world view in us. But even a new world view in us is not enough. To accomplish what Jesus wants to accomplish, he can't simply put programming 
over the top of old programming. No, the old programs need to be deleted, eliminated, completely swept away, and new programming needs to take place. This is where many people fail to get the point. Everything comes into question. Everything gets laid down. Every value gets laid on the altar. Every way of thinking gets laid on the altar. Every way of reaction in the world gets laid on the altar. Every sense of purpose gets laid on the altar. Every sense of what is right and what is wrong gets laid on the altar. He is not going for new. He's not going for simply for better. He's, go, he's creating a whole new product in us. Do you see that at the very start of this message? At the very start, the Beatitudes, he's, he's calling us to be rewired by the way we see God and we know God. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. That word is, blessed are the completely broken. Completely broken. Blessed are those who now see themselves clearly and see God clearly and become unsure of everything. Unsure of how to pray. Unsure of how to worship unsure of how to talk to others, unsure of how to walk in relationship, unsure of how to think, unsure of how to, how to feel. This person no longer trusts any bearing in his life. The compass is spinning like a roulette wheel, and all confidence in self is gone. Why? Because this person has come in contact with God. He hasn't just heard about him. He hasn't just been told something about him. But he's now come in contact with the convicting power of a mighty, holy God, and he stands before him broken. They have sensed the purity of God's character. They have seen the righteousness of God's being. This person has felt the power of his presence sweeping into their life. This person has been moved by the power of the will of God. This person has been touched by the soul-penetrating essence of God's love. This person has been overcome by the might, the awesomeness of God's judgment when earthly man comes in contact with a holy God. Man melts. He doesn't stand toe-to-toe with him. He doesn't invite him into corners of his life. When man meets God in this way, he's, he's crushed. Have you ever had that day? Have you ever faced God and had that moment where you realize you're totally lost? Not simply a day where you sit in a church pew and you've grown up and 
you go, you know what, this sounds right, I need to do this. Not, not simply a, a day when, when you think, okay, okay, I need to take another religious step and make a proclamation and I'm going to now call myself a Christian. No, it's a day when your spiritual eyes were opened. It, it's a day when the fear of God overwhelmed your very being and you knew who you were before. Have you ever had that day? Have you ever had that moment when there, was te- when there were tears and sorrow and brokenness that was replaced by the hope of the message of Jesus Christ in your life? What happens when, when, you, when, you, when you come to that moment is you know you're empty. You know you've got nothing to offer. When you come to that moment, you know you're wretched. Then the sight of this holy God, <laughs> you're broken and diseased. When you come to that moment, you come with no pride. You come knowing that you are unworthy and most of all, guilty without recourse. The sense of this recognition of who God is his greatness, his holiness, his power, his might, his love, his judgment. The sense of, of who he is develops a desire to approach him. We want to walk in his presence. We wish we were worthy. We wish we could walk in communion with him. But we know we're not worthy. There's no bargaining at this moment. There is only soul-crushing grief at our condition. This is where a right relationship that is built to last begins. In the recognition of what we are and the spiritual revelation of who he is. The first step of being built to last is total demolition of the old man. Total questioning of the old man. We see him, we know ourselves, and we grieve. We feel overwhelmed and lost. And in the middle of this being lost, he calls to us. We sense his calling. He says to us, I love you, come to me. He says to us, I want communion with you. He says to us, you are my creation and I want to save you and make you mine. And we find ourselves overwhelmed by conviction and drawn to the altar of repentance, drawn to a moment of saying, God, I grieve what I am, and I'm willing to receive whatever you give me. There's no pride in this moment. Frankly, in this moment, you either come with your whole being or you flee. But if you come, you come in meekness. Lord, I am yours. Make me yours. I will hear. I will obey. I will be yours. This is many times one of the biggest steps, one of the biggest conflicts in the person who's grown up in church like I have, where you know all the right things and you've got a lot of the right answers, but you haven't really met God yet. 
all your family's told you and others have told you and you know what's right and you know what the right things to say and do and you come to the altar at the right time, maybe even get baptized at, at the right age. All those things happen, but you've never had this moment between you and God that makes you lay everything down and say, God, in meekness, I receive your will in my life. In meekness, I receive it all. I'll do what you want, want, want me to do. As you long to be like him, we begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness, and we hunger and thirst to be formed in his image. We want to learn more and more. In those early days, especially for the new Christian, are these early days of diving into God's Word and seeing it completely differently than you've ever seen it before. For the person who has been completely unchurched, it is like fresh water over their soul, and they grab a hold of it. Even for the person who's grown up in church, they're now seeing the stories differently. They're hearing the instructions differently. They're, they're, they're pouring it into their life in a different way <clears throat> because they've been in the presence of God. And as we begin to walk in that place, we grow in mercy. As we grow in the mercy given to us, we begin to freely offer mercy to others in all the areas of their life, and our motives get changed from the selfish, self-seeking man demanding for ourselves expecting for ourselves to the man of purity living only for his will and his glory as he shows us how to live our lives through him. The melted man becomes a man of strength because the presence of God lives in him and changes him. And he begins to be formed into a peacemaker. Now, friend, to become a peacemaker, I want to tell you, it requires not only reprogramming and, and redoing, but it, call, it calls for some hardcore rewiring. Before we are melted in the presence of God, the sin nature leads, leans towards actions and words that cause trouble. Because we're so selfish and so self-seeking, we're only thinking about what we want. Our action leans towards causing problems. We become troublemakers in the worst sense of the concept. Not in the sense of people joking with one another and saying, oh, you're a troublemaker. But in the sense of really causing trouble. In the sense of hurting others. In the sense of building division. Even in places where we don't want to be build division. I mean, we can face this. The thief is a troublemaker. He causes problems. The liar is a troublemaker. They break relationships. They cause division. The gossip is a troublemaker. They hurt others and separate people. The selfish person is a troublemaker because they're always demanding and, ex and expecting for themselves. The bigot is a troublemaker because they don't see others through God's eyes. The manipulator is a troublemaker because they're controlling people. The adulterer is a troublemaker because they break their family and separate their family and cause pain inside of their family's lives, all for their selfishness sake. We could go on and on. Sin makes us troublemakers for ourselves and for others on this earth. 
Not only does a troublemaker turn from those actions when they meet with God, and they turn from many more actions because God begins to, because as they hunger and thirst for righteousness, they become transformed. But we've got to learn how to, how to do some rewiring. So let me share a couple of points about, trouble, about peacemakers. The peacemaker builds peace. When our sin nature, we build trouble. In our Christ nature, we begin to build peace. Peacemaking is an action. It is active. It is purposeful, and it does things. It is an act of planting for the purpose of growing a fruit of peace. Peacemaking builds bridges between people. Peacemaking connects people. Peacemaking builds unity. Peacemaking encourages others to see the positive side of others and of situations. Instead of talking about the negative, instead of dwelling on the negative, instead of dwelling on the the toughness of the situation or the negative about the other person, the peacemaker points to the positive. The the lessons learned and the the things that are being accomplished in that person's life, and they celebrate instead of destroying, and they begin to build peace. A few months ago, one of our great friends uh, Jackie Barmhart uh, passed away. She's been a friend of mine since we were teenagers running around the church. And, uh, I, and I'll tell you, I, I knew, knew Jackie really well. I was a great friend with Jackie and her family and watched her kids grow up here. Yet I'm always amazed uh, at, at a funeral the things you learn about somebody you didn't know. Because our lives are so diverse, just, it's just impossible for us to know everything. And uh, as I was talking with her children, uh, and, and even as we'd grown up around all these positive things, as I was talking with her children, they talked to me about how she dealt with them. And one of the things that she did in their lives that just jumped up at me when they told me, is, is they said, whenever one of us would say something positive about the other one, she made sure to tell the other one what that person had said. So if one of the girls said, oh, I, I really loved the other girl's hair yesterday, she'd go, oh, you know, she really, she really liked your hair yesterday. If one of them was in a play and one of the kids said, oh, Man, didn't, didn't that one do good yesterday? Wasn't that great? She would go to them and say, hey, I was just talking to your brother, just talking to your sisters. And they, they talked about how great you were in that play. They talked about how wonderful you sounded when you sang that solo. They talked about how kind you were in loaning them this thing or that thing. And when, they said whenever something positive happened that we said, she, we, we would find her, they said we didn't realize it until we were grown that she was carrying these positive messages to us over and over again. What was she doing? I don't know where she learned that, where she picked that up at, other than maybe in prayer someday, but she was building peace. She was being a peacemaker. 
Sadly, a lot of people do just the opposite. Somebody says something negative and they can't wait to get out the door. Can't wait to make the phone call. That person's not a peacemaker. That person's a troublemaker. But see, as we go through life, we can take the action of looking and saying, how can I build peace? How can I strengthen the bonds of unity? Jackie was thinking, how do, I, how do I build this and strengthen the bonds of unity between my children so they'll love each other and care for each other? And she understood she could do that by carrying the positive word and being a peacemaker and building peace, whatever it was and whatever they had said. Now, let's move to, this brings us to point two. Peacemakers diffuse bombs. Peacemakers don't carry others' malicious words. When someone speaks in anger or frustration, they have just, when, when they talk to a peacemaker, they have just spoken to a soundproof wall. It's not going to go through them to anybody else. Nobody else is going to hear that word. Nobody else is going to be brought that word. They're not going to pass that word on to anyone else. The message goes no further because the peacemaker diffuses bombs. It takes that out. Even if some act of reconciliation is needed, and they've got to talk with each other. The malicious words are not brought up again. They are like the bomb squad. They diffuse. They control the explosion so that it does little or no damage. Again, some can't wait to get out of the room and carry the message. They're like nails flying through the air, ripping into other people and tearing other people apart because they carry the damaged words of someone who is frustrated are hurting instead of saying, no, I'm not going to be a part of this trouble. I'm going to work to be a part of the healing of the trouble. They don't sit there with the person pouring out in anger or frustration and say, yeah, I've had the same experience. I'm, I've been there too, that person. So they're, they're, not, they're not escalating the explosion. They're not adding gasoline to the fire. They're bringing peace. They're working to bring peace because they're a peacemaker. The peacemaker also lets the explosive words flow around him. The peacemaker is one that when words of offense and and explosive words are said to them, they are ones that that are able to separate the fact from the attack. This is really important if you're going to be a peacemaker. And if you're going to be a peacemaker, sometimes people are going to say things about you, and you've got to separate the attack from the fact. Are you getting this? The fact is, did I offend them some way? Did I say something bad to them some way? Did I hurt them some way? Did I disappoint them some way? And the attack is all the, all the negative words that get poured on top of that about that person. Our politicians need to learn this today. (laughs) To separate the fact from the attack and to stop attacking. 
and to share the facts. And we need to do it in our scale of life. To separate in our words what we say and to get the attack out of our words and to only talk about the facts. And when those words are said about us, we've got to put on our big boy pants and say, I'm not going to be offended by the attack. I'm going to deal with the facts. Because the goal isn't to wound them the way they're trying to wound me. The goal is to bring healing between us because we're peacemakers. Are you with me today? I would encourage you to pray about this and to take a look at our life. He recognizes that the, the great, we have to, need to recognize that the great work of the kingdom is peacemaking. Like Jesus, the peacemaker forgives while others are still sinning against them. In Psalm 119, 165, it says this, Great peace have they which love thy law and nothing, listen, and nothing shall offend them. Peacemakers are like the bomb squad that control the explosion. And here's this. This is, a, this is a tough one for some of us. Peacemakers are storm chasers. Peacemaking is an action. Some people just love peace, but they're not peacemakers. They love peace, but they don't make peace. They put blinders on and earmuffs on and ignore the bombs going off all around them. The whole house can be tumbling down. There can be turmoil going on all around them. Sin can be rearing its ugly head every place around them that, you, that anyone else can see, and they can sit in the middle of the room and refuse to say anything and ignore everything. There can be anger in the home. There can be drug abuse in their family's life. There can be physical or verbal abuse. There can be all kinds of pain, and they want to turn their head the other way and think that if they ignore it, it won't be there, it'll go away, but the pain is still happening, the trouble's still happening, people are still being hurt and wounded, but they cherish their own peace so much, they close their eyes to it all. That is not the act of a peacemaker. Peacemakers have to be willing to walk into the middle of the storm isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus wanted to bring reconciliation to us so much. He loved us so much and wanted to heal us so much. He wanted to bring new life to us and hope to us and bring peace to us so much that he came down from the throne room of heaven and got right in the middle of our mess Amen. to offer peace to anybody who would come to him. What a great thing. It's the thing he did for us. Now let me warn you. If you choose to be a peacemaker and you choose to chase storms, there are flying objects in storms. Being a peacemaker means that sometimes we give up peace to try to make peace. We give up our comfort. Storms are out of control. 
It can be painful in the storm, and you may not end up where you want to. My experience in storms is that they are chaos. And sometimes as you're trying to make peace, you get to the end that is righteous. And sometimes you don't. Many times over the years, as being a, a Christian and a Christ follower and a, a pastor, I found myself having to wade into a storm. And sometimes as you wade into that storm, the people in it grab a hold of God's direction and peace comes. And sometimes there's just some son of the devil in the middle of that storm that's going to do their thing no matter what. They've never met God. They've never surrendered their life to God. They've tagged themselves as Christians, but they've never humbled themselves to say, God, I'm going to follow your way and your way only. And that person's going to continue to be the troublemakers. You never know when you stumble into a storm, when you walk into a storm, when you determine it's your time to be in the storm, what the outcome's going to be. If everybody listens, when Jesus speaks, when he uses you to speak, peace comes. But our free will allows us to act outside of that. We have to have the satisfaction peacemakers do of knowing they tried and being unwilling not to try. Let me give you a couple steps of being a storm, of, of calming storms. Here's the first one. If you see a storm, there's a storm begin to wage around you, or maybe you're in one right now, the first thing you've got to do is begin to pray. You've got to begin to pray and ask God to show you, am I causing this storm? Am I stirring some of this up? Are there some things I need to lay down? Am I, am I a part of this issue? Sometimes you've got to just pray, God, move in everybody else's life and touch everybody else and let all of us come to unity with you. And sometimes it's a storm that you're maybe not being directly impacted with, but you know you're, you're sensing maybe you've got to do something and you're just praying, God, give them wisdom. Give them wisdom to work their way through the storm. But the first act of any storm chaser, anybody who wants to bring peace to storms, is to pray about the storms that they see and to begin to ask God to move in it. The second thing that you've got to know is this. You've got to recognize in your time of prayer your amount of influence. You've got to know what your amount of influence is. To go wandering into somebody's storm that gives you no influence. I, I've had people come to me and say, will you go talk to this person or that person? I, I have to look at them and say, I, I'm, I'm going to pray for them. I'm not going to go talk to them. Well, why not? Because I have no influence there. All I'm going to do is stir the storm up more. Because I have no influence in that life. I've got to know where I have influence and where I don't. And I've got to know, God, you've got influence, so I'm praying for you to move in their life. Sometimes I'll say, do they want me to talk to them? If, if you talk to them and they say they'd like to talk to me about this, I'll be glad to go talk to them. But I'm not wandering into a storm without some, some influence, some God-given influence. And you know what the real issue is? 
most of the time, the person that's talking to you, they're supposed to be the person. They are the person of influence. They're supposed to be the peacemaker. They're just trying to get away where they don't have to do it. Are, are you getting me here? They just want somebody from the outside to come in who really has no authority to do it. It's like this. Let me, let me give you an illustration. Sometimes people come to us and they'll say, uh, my dad's in the hospital. He's not a Christian. Would you go pray for him and talk to him about God? And I'll say, does he want me to? No, but I want you to. Well, will you tell him I'm coming? No, I want you to surprise him. Not going to do that. <laughs> Not going to do that. If you tell him that you've asked me to come up and he says it's okay for me to come up, I'm happy to come up. But I'm not just popping in on him. That's not going to, because all, that's not, I, he's not invited me. He hasn't asked me to be there. I've walked into a few of those rooms and been told that very thing. Why are you here? I didn't ask you to come. That's embarrassing for me. It's not good for the kingdom. It doesn't build anything in that guy's life. And you know what the reality is most of the time? They're supposed to be the person doing that. They're the person with the influence. They're supposed to be having that talk with Dad. The third thing that will help you in any time that you're going to, about to wander into a storm is get advice. Go to some godly people, experienced people, people that you know are peacemakers and say, listen, I'm about to wander into this relationship with my son who's having a drug problem or my daughter and her husband who's having a marriage problem. I'm about to wander into the middle of this thing. I think God's told me to go talk to them and try to help them. Give me some advice. How should I approach them? Get good counsel. And finally, always remember the goal. Speak with the goal of righteousness in mind. We're not there to win. We're not there to get our way. We're there to get God's way. Remember what the angel of the Lord said to, to Joshua when he met him before the great battle, and, he said, and Joshua said, whose side are you on? And the angel said, neither one of you. I'm on God's side. In other words, if God tells me to strike them down, I'm going to strike them down. If God told me today to strike you down, your life would be over because I'm on God's side. You can't go into those on, on anybody's side but the Lord's. Let me share a final thought with you. Peacemakers show people Jesus. The greatest place where we can make peace is to help people have peace with God. Last week, uh, on Sunday night, Norma Frederick, one of our longtime members, been involved here in so many, many ways over the years, 92 years old, uh, been sick for the last several years. Uh, she passed away, went home to be with the Lord. She was a tremendous worker around here, a blessing to our staff, a mentor uh, to, to many women in our church. And after the service on Sunday night, we, had, we went down to the fellowship hall on Jefferson Street for dinner, and her son-in-law, Wayne, uh, invited people to get up and speak. And, and a number of people got up and said things from little grandchildren to to family members and the funny stories, warm-hearted stories, stories that spoke to who she was. The story that moved me the most was when her daughter-in-law got up to speak. And she spoke about in the early days of her relationship with 
uh, with Norma's son. And Norma's son would tell her that her, his mom loved Jesus. They lived in another season. You've got to understand, my mom loves Jesus. And she'd say, she said, I'd look at him and say, oh, so you mean she's religious? He goes, no, no, she's not religious. She loves Jesus. It's not about, she's, she's not like, she likes, she, lo- she loves God. And she said, I couldn't get my head around it. I didn't understand it. I'd never been around anybody who, uh, it all it related to me was somebody who was religious. And he's telling me that there's something different in this. And she said she wasn't living for God at that time. And uh, now she's coming to Springfield to meet Norma for the first time. And she said, I was nervous. How is this woman who's supposed to love God like this, like her son tells me about, how is she going to greet me? How is she going to receive me, who she knew wasn't serving God at the time? And she said, so, she said, how is she going to receive me? And she said, I'll never forget. She said, we came to the door, and Norma came to the door and threw her arms around me and welcomed me to her home like only Norma could do and told me, honey, come on in. Come on in. Soon she would, be mar- she would marry Norma's uh, son, and she, and she said she still wasn't a Christian, and they would come to visit and said always met with love, always welcomed into the home. And she said many nights we would sit up as everybody else had gone to bed and said we would sit and talk about the things of God late into the night. She said sometimes to two or three in the morning, and I was resistant to faith, and she just patiently, lovingly, Talk to me about a relationship with God. Said, we disagreed about things, but she was kind in it. She said, and it took me a while. Said, and finally, God had to slap me upside the head a couple of times, and I became a Christian. (laughs) Then she said, to all of you who knew her, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not, you know that you've been given the clearest picture of Jesus you'll ever receive through her life. Now, friends, that's a peacemaker. She lived patiently, kindly, not compromising, but telling the truth. When your life and words reflect Jesus to the point that others are drawn to Jesus, you become a peacemaker. Peacemakers don't compromise But they also don't antagonize. They're trying to build peace. A couple of weeks ago, John Harper spoke, and he talked about mercy, and he talked about steel. He talked about meekness. He talked about steel wrapped in velvet. That the Christian is this person who is strong, faithful, consistent, and yet the outside of them is soft and kind and merciful, humble before God. So here's my challenge for you today. As we pray in these next couple of moments, we let the Lord speak to you about places where you can begin to build peace, where you can begin to share positive words. We let the Lord speak to you about some rewiring in your life so, so that instead of being a megaphone of the malicious that you become the soundproof barrier 
that when the ugly and the harmful is said, it goes no further than you. Can you sit here today and begin to let God speak to you about the fact that there's somebody in your life that you haven't had peace with in a long time? Maybe you haven't spoken to him for a long time. But God wants to speak to you today and say, it's time to wade into that storm and begin to make peace. Someone you haven't spoken with, you haven't been around. Is there a situation where there's a storm and you are the person of influence? Be a peacemaker. But remember, being on the bomb squad is dangerous work. We need the help of God in all that we do. Let's stand together today and let's pray. Father, I I know you've called us as your son came into this earth to bring peace. To bring peace between us and you. To make a way of peace. And he wants us to love others. And he wants us to be peacemakers. Lord, I just pray that today you begin to build that in our hearts. That, Father, we would see where we're throwing gasoline on fires. We'd see where we need to change it. We begin to pray and be transformed. That, Father, maybe we would see the places where we're sitting in the middle of the room while there's turmoil all around us. We've got our blinders on, our ear, ears are covered. And it's time for us to look out and begin to speak peace into our worlds. Most of all, Father, I pray today that you would speak to us about how to live our lives with those around us so that the greatest physical image of Jesus they see on this earth would be us. That they would see you shining through us and that because of that we would become people who are peacemakers between others and you. Help us in that. Guide us in that, we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come down right now. In these next few moments, maybe you're in a place where you need real wisdom to bring peace. Uh, Maybe you need to have the courage to bring peace. You need the wisdom to bring peace. You need a place of healing to bring peace. Before you leave today, come down and let somebody else pray with you. Maybe you don't have peace with God. There's some of you here today, you've, you know about God, but you've never had this soul-melting experience where your soul is really transformed by His presence. I want to encourage you to come down and pray today. Ask somebody to pray with you. Hey, God loves you. You know that? He wants the very best for you. We love you. That's why we share these things with you. But God's called us as a body of believers to be peacemakers in our worlds. Amen? Let's be careful and let's do that very thing. God bless you.